didn't read anything outside of what was assigned to me. And it's kind of baffling to think back to my decision to then become a, an English major at my undergraduate degree um, for my undergraduate institution. And I think it was mainly because I entered that field mainly because I wanted to be a writer. So I was interested in the idea of creative writing. I really enjoyed writing and creating stories. But I, for whatever reason, I was never really gravitating towards reading books myself. I think it's because I am a notorious slow reader. I, it takes me forever to get through books. I've gotten better since I am now an avid reader. But for the longest time as a child, I remember getting quite frustrated. You would have those sessions in class where you would have to read a story or read a passage before we came together as a group, and I would never finish in time before the teacher came back together to ask us questions, and I think that that really made me not interested in reading. I probably internalized the fact that I wasn't very good at it, but in my undergrad, I ended up actually really blooming and realizing that if I wanted to be a good writer, one of the most often advice that's given to aspiring writers is that you should be reading what you want to write. And so that was what actually got me into it. Again, kind of an assignment situation. And now I just read for the pure pleasure of it. Um, but I was one of those readers who wasn't really into it for quite some time. That's interesting. Uh, because when I was a kid, I was... I was the last person to read, but my teacher gave us a, um, a comprehension test. Uh. So after we fit, and this was second grade, um, she was a very advanced lady because this was the 60s. Um, she said, uh, she tested us at the end of the class, and even though I was the last person to close the book, I understood the book the best. Uh, which uh -huh. made me go, oh. I, and, and when I told my father that, and my mom and dad that, my dad said, well, that makes sense, because you've always loved stories. Um, but I thought, because I was slow, that like you, that I wasn't, you know, really good at reading. But when I, t after I took that test, I was like, oh, I am good at reading. <laughs> Yeah, I had a I have a good friend who I met during my time in undergrad and we had the same the same course load and we were in a few classes together and so we would often do homework together we were reading and she is a very speedy reader. She was so quick that I remember sometimes our assignment would be to read an assignment twice, to read the story twice. And so she would get through probably one and a half times by the time I got done with one time, but we would then realize that my memory of the piece was far stronger than hers, and that's why it was actually necessary for her to read it twice, where I usually didn't have to read it twice if I still wanted to remember certain little details that would maybe a speedy reader would miss. Uh, I also think that, I don't know, we don't really think about the process of reading very much. I'm sure there's a lot of higher academic research on it, but what I've discovered about myself, I was talking about it with someone, I'd be interested to know if you do this, Sherry, as a fellow reader who reads a bit more slowly, is I read as if I'm almost speaking aloud. Like, I say every word in my head as I'm reading, and I've heard other readers say that they don't do that at all, 
But I, that is actually my process. I literally am saying these sentences in my head, and so I think that's also partly why I'm a slower reader. I do that too, yeah. I, yeah. I read, I, I, I actually envelope words. I love words, so it's, especially if it, there's a phrase, I went, oh, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, and, and I think, because I was, um, I have also acting background, so I think that also had influence on that too. Um, because I just love, I love the way like certain writers phrase things and stuff. So I will, I will read it and then I will remember it and then I will quote it <laughs> like all the time. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, it's a quirky thing, but that's one thing I do. I like, oh, and I got, I somebody would say something and I would quote. My brother would quote a movie and I would quote a book. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a nice that that defines you. Do you quote movies or do you quote books? There are two categories. Yeah. I would I'm I'm usually the booky person. <laughs> Although I love movies. I love movies and TV and I I remember every movie and TV show that I ever saw that I love. Sometimes now eight older, I ha- my I have to grasp for something I can see in my head but I can't remember the name of the actor or something which makes me insane. Um, but yeah. I, I still, rem- I can I can tell you scenes. I, I remember, I remember TV shows that some p- people that did the TV shows don't remember. Uh-huh. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just a weird part of my memory. It, and books is like that too. I just, I, I remember, I remember reading Heidi when I was seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that memory is just a really fascinating topic and subject because, yeah, everyone experiences memory differently, whether it be, you know, your auditory dependent or visual or, you know, writing things down. Um, I remember someone was speaking about memory in a class once, and uh, she was saying how this one theorist described it as building a bridge. And the whole idea of memory is that every time you go back to that memory, you have to rebuild that bridge. And with every single time you go there to that memory, you are rebuilding the bridge differently. And so almost those memories that you don't think about nearly as often, they're probably more accurate and fresher than the ones you go back to and retell all the time. And so I'm always thinking, I'm like, which stories am I retelling all the time? And has it gotten to the point where a lot of it is inaccurate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wonder about that, you know, especially if someone tells you the same story over and over and over again. <laughs> right. Suddenly the dress becomes blue when it was red, and then it wasn't a tree, it was a bush, and there's just all these millions of things being changed. <laughs> yeah, I, it's interesting. That's true. Um, I, I've had relatives tell me, a story every time I went to see them, and <laughs> the story changes. But it's the same story. They just they just add. <laughs> yeah, I think making it a bit more lively, a bit more fun. It's just funny, but yeah, that's true. Memory isn't uh, memory isn't reliable, but memory is good too because it's like like. I think when you can remember like stuff like books or TV shows and stuff like that, you you get a whole source of information and referral. First of all, 
um, like uh, you can you, you can, if you have somebody says something that reminds you of a movie, you can say something humorously from that movie, and uh-huh. they may not even remember that part. You know, you know what I mean? It's just it, it'll pop into your head. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that often also has to do with how we emotionally interact with a certain memory or an event. So, for instance, if we're thinking of like a TV show or a movie and this one scene was just so funny to you or so relatable or so like sad or so moving and the actor doesn't remember it, it's like, well, it's because they were viewing it from a different lens and they were acting and they were surrounded by all these camera people and it's you know, the the moving music wasn't there when they were acting. That gets added later. And so I think that we often have a more emotional response, whether it be good or bad. Um, but I do think about that to bring it back to reading as well, where, you know, to a point when you start thinking about it, you're like, all right, so as an avid reader, I've read a lot of books. How can I actually hold the capacity of every single book that I've read? And whether I really enjoyed it or not, I remember liking this book. Do I remember all the details? You might not, but I do think the one residual thing you do feel is that you remember enjoying it or not. You remember having certain strong emotions about it. Um, so that always kind of makes me feel better when I start to think, oh, I read that book how many years ago, and I don't really remember anything about it, but I do know that I loved it. So I guess that's the more important aspect. Oh, yeah, it's very important. Do you remember what the first book you ever read was? Oh, you know, I don't remember the first book I ever read, but I can certainly name a few that were really important to me as a small child. Uh, I remember those, you know, those classic books with the kind of golden spines that often had fairy tales or just classic books. One was The Pokey Little Puppy. I recall was a favorite of mine. <laughs> um, yes, I, interestingly, as a cat lover, I, I was indoctrinated early as a dog lover, and that didn't stick very long. Uh, my first pet as a child ended up being a cat, and so that set straight for me for the rest of my life. But yes, the pokey little puppy, also Clifford the Big Red Dog, again, very indoctrinated to appreciate dogs, and they are nice, but I lean cats. Um, I think more you know, quote-unquote serious reading, like chapter books. I really liked The Magic Treehouse. I remember that was a series that just, you know, the whole idea of something magical but also investigative, these children are going off on adventures, that was really inspiring to me. Uh, As someone who particularly reads mysteries, the, the first two mystery books that I read were And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie and then The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. I think those two were especially influential to me because those are the books that I remember reading and thinking, wow, like I can actually really enjoy and find myself sucked into a narrative. Like I think that was my awakening, um, but then it went into hibernation for quite a few years until I uh, graduated undergrad. That's interesting. My first book that was a more of an adult book was uh, Agatha Christie too, and it was uh, Evil Under the Sun because I saw the movie, and my dad got me the book um, because I love the movie. I kept talking about it. Um, <laughs> this is the Peter Ustinoff movie. I was gonna ask, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's the seventies, so it was it was Peter Ustinov. Um, I loved Peter Ustinov as Perot. I did. He was adorable. 
Um, and uh, I know he wasn't exactly the way that Agatha Christie wrote him, but I ne I never felt that you had to have a movie with the person being exactly the way the character was in the book. I just that's mm -hmm. not the way I, I I am. And anyway, that was the first uh, that was the first adult book that I can remember reading. I was about eleven, twelve, okay. something like that. Yeah, I suppose for me, uh, the first adult book that was particularly emotional, actually, um, was strangely. Whenever I tell people this, I'm almost I'm also shocked that I did that I read this, and it was actually again an, an academic focused reading in eighth grade. So in that case, I was probably uh, 12, 13 years old. We had this book club. I remember there were a handful of students invited to do it, and we had to have our parents you know, sign permission, and of course my parents signed permission, and neither of them are really huge readers, but they were like, oh, this is a great opportunity, and so I remember again as a 13-year-old uh, reading our book club book, and it was actually The Kite Runner by yep. Khalid Husseini, which I think at that age is actually quite crazy to read. It is very um, adult. <laughs> I, recall, yeah, I recall reading that, and I remember there's some really, like, pivotal scenes that are just just gut wrenching and and really again like very serious, very adult content. And towards the end of the book, there was this one scene that I still remember. And I was in the car. <laughs> My mom had left me in the car while she was off doing some errands. And she arrived back in the car, and I was sobbing. <laughs> and the, it was the first time a book had ever made me cry. And again, it was one of those moments where I was like, I never knew books could make you emote in this way. And so it's just funny to kind of look back and be like, wow, now. Oh my gosh, it's so easy for me to cry at any book if I, I really want to. I know. My first book that I cried was Anne Frank, The Diary of Anne oh, Frank. Mm -hmm. I was crying throughout almost most of the book, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think I was about the same age. It was like maybe 12 or 13 when I read Anne Frank. Yeah, it's quite an interesting experience to really think about that. And I don't I don't think we talk about it enough when like, what is the first book that makes you cry? I don't think we ask that question enough because it's quite telling and it, it's a really interesting experience. You know, one of those major highlighted events of, like, any reader's life, I think, is knowing what the first book that made you cry is. Oh, yeah. I actually remember the first time I read The Great Gatsby crying my eyes out. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, people think of Great Gatsby as the 20s and parties and all this, but really... In reality, if you remember the book, it's a tragedy. Yeah, it's quite heartbreaking. And I mean, I felt for I felt for um, Jay Gatsby. I felt for that poor girl who accidentally got killed. Um, you know, uh -huh. I, I was crying for a lot of reasons. Um, but it was it was I just gave something away. But. You won't know who it is until you read the book. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not a full spoiler. <laughs> no. Um, but I love, that's my favorite, that's still my favorite book of all time. And F. Scott Fitzgerald is still one of my top, top, top favorite classic writers. Mm -hmm. I love him. He's a fascinating one because he's also one of those authors that often gets compared to his literature because there are so many parallels to his own life, mm -hmm. just more so in regards to lifestyle and, um, you know, the way he lived his life and, and his, you know, relationship with Penelope and everything like that. 
but there are a lot of comparisons between him and, and the, you know, the, those that he created, the characters he created. So, it's, yeah, it's very interesting when authors pull from their own life a lot. Um, Penelope? Uh, Penelope Fitzgerald, is that not his wife? No. What was his wife's name? Um, Zoe? No, I forgot. I gotta look it up now. <laughs> I know. But it's too. not Penelope. I know that it's, it's the, uh, Fitzgerald's. How can I, see, this is one of those times I should know. I, I, I know it, but it's in the back of my head. Uh-huh. And I'm I was about to say something and I don't think that's right because I think Zelda. Zelda. I know it was a Z. There we go. Yes, I was thinking. I was like, you know, I know it's like a very kind of dramatic name, so I think that's why I fell on Penelope. But yeah, so Zelda. It's Zelda. I and, and, and I, I don't know why I said Zoe. I guess it was. I knew it was a Z word. <laughs> yeah, I think I think together, my your name starting with a Z and mine being a bit dramatic come together, and that is Zelda. Zelda. Yeah, um, it's funny because I, I actually just recently re rewatched Midnight in Paris because I wanted to. I decided to read Hemingway. It, it took me forever. I don't like war mongering, um, mm-hmm. and um, and he's very famous for that. But I decided to read Movable Feast because okay. it's all about Paris in the twenties and. Uh, his friendship with the Fitzgeralds and, and Picasso and all the other famous uh, expats who were living in Paris at that time. So I figured, okay, you'll, it'll limit the amount of his warmongering. So, and I really was curious about his take on it. So, yeah, I, 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 that was one of the things I bought for myself for myself for my birthday. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like his short stories. I think that they're really interesting and, and super minimalist. Um, but then his his longer form works have, don't really work for me. I remember reading For Whom the Bell Tolls, and that's also very much, you know, war-themed, and there's this battle going on in the, in the mountains and the hills and everything like that. And it, it's such a thick book for something that only happens in a matter of days, and I just could not believe how long-winded it was, so I don't think I'm much of an Ernest Hemingway fan, unless it's his short-form work, because it is far shorter and far more to the point. That's funny, because the only thing I ever read of his was To Be or Not, that's be, To Have and To Have Not, mm-hmm. um, because of the movie, because I love the movie. Um, so I was curious about the book, I mean, the short story. Um, that was the only thing I'd ever read, and even though it had, it was it was about them, it was about, it was about um, the friendship it really wasn't warmongering in that in that short story. It was more pe- people trying to survive the Nazi invasion and the Vichy, um, the Vichy viciousness and and stuff like that of uh, World War Two. And it was very very interesting because in the movie it was flipped. Because he was supposed to end up with the wife of the person he um, he saved, and he ended up with Lauren Bacall, who was a totally different character. <laughs> I didn't really realize that until I read the short story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I also do like the idea. We've talked about it a few times. Being influenced to read books by movies, I think that sometimes 
there there's a group of people who say, oh, I won't read the book after I've seen the movie, or I have to read the book first. And for me, I am usually even more invested in wanting to read a book if I've seen the movie mm-hmm. first. And so I'm kind of depending on depending on the genre, depending on what it is. I actually sometimes opt to watch first, then I can immediately picture the scene, immediately picture the characters as I'm reading it, and I just feel like I get to, you know, experience the story a second time and just imagine it in my head. I like to do it that way because the reason why is that it expands it. You know what's going on. When you watch a movie, you know what the characters are doing, but when you read a book, you know what's going on in their heads. So when you mm-hmm. when you watch a movie and then you read the book, you get to find out, oh, that's what they were thinking. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, oh, there's a bit more detail. Yeah, for sure. I do kind of like that, though. Um, I know that one that I've been meaning to read before the adapted version, though, is Magpie Murders. I've been meaning to read it forever, and of course now that the TV series is out, I'm like, oh, I really should read that. Uh, but I, I don't know if I should read first or okay. watch first. I'll tell you exactly what Anthony Horowitz said. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I I was I was sort of like I didn't know what to do because I really wanted to see the adaptation, and so uh, he changed it a bit, not the the characters of the plot, but the way it was presented in the book was like three pages of uh, modern day and then the whole 1950s novel and then back to modern day and he says I had this huge wonderful star playing Susan at the book I couldn't have somebody that was only in it for a few seconds and then uh, then she doesn't come until like the third or fourth uh, episode so what he did was he integrated the episodes. I mean, he has the book and the, the the modern day and the 50s integrated. So because he did that, um, he said, when I asked him, I said, because um, I had seen an interview with him saying that, and I said, uh-huh. would it spoil reading the book if I watch the adaption first? And he said, no, because they're different. And that was right out of the author's mouth. <laughs> oh, well then. I was going to say, we went right to the source. <laughs> yep. So definitely you can you can, uh, you can can read the book or you can watch the movie first, whichever way, because they're different. And there's, some, there's something, I won't tell you what it is, but there's something extra, extra in the adaption that's not in the book that's really quite enjoyable. Um, that's all I'm going to say. Oh. <laughs> now I'm actually intrigued. I might have to up that on my current TBR list. Oh, it's so good. Oh, the adaption. Uh, the book is oh, so good. They're both good. They're, they're different, but they're brilliant. Uh, and Anthony wrote both, so that's why I felt I could ask mm-hmm. him. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So, um, but definitely... You could you if you want to see the adaption, you can see the adaption. Okay, perfect. <laughs> and it won't mess it up, really. It won't. Uh, in fact, I probably read the book wrong because <laughs> what I did was when I actually got around, I I I was waiting for my, oh, the reason I asked this was because I was waiting for my copy of it, 
it was being sent to me f by a friend, and I um I got I didn't get it until like the fourth or fifth episode was already coming out. So before I was waiting, and I said, that's why I sent him a, a direct message on Twitter. I said, can I watch them? Uh, can I watch the adaption before I see the book, or will I spoil the book? And he said, "No, no, read, uh, watch the adaption. It's totally different." He told me what he did. Oh, that's so cool! And I, I do like that he had been a major part in writing the television series too. I think it's too often that the author isn't a part of that process or isn't the one doing it. And so, yeah, then it's just a toss-up. We're not sure. The author's not even sure. Creative license allows certain changes if that's sold. And yeah, it's an interesting process for sure. So that. That's a bit fun that he got to rewrite it a little bit. Yeah, and smart, too. Actually, um, his wife produced uh, Magpie Murders, so I, I think that was sort of planned that she'd hire her husband. Oh, awesome. That, that, I love that. I love a duo, a couple duo who can work together and, and make something great. Yeah, he, they, were, they had a TV series that they worked on together, too, which was called Foil's War. Oh, okay. So it, uh, he, he, they worked together a few times, but yeah, this the definitely you, you got to see the adaption. <laughs> I will. I definitely will. <laughs> um. So now my next question is quite simple. How did you come about to write? Right to become a booktuber, uh, and please explain for my audience who was like me before I got indoctrinated what booktube is <laughs> i would be honored to so booktube is quite simply two words that we're familiar with put together so there's youtube but then there's a side of youtube a small niche group of creators who focus on book related content so that creates booktube and those who create that content are booktubers I ended up getting interested in BookTube. Uh, as a viewer initially, I really wanted to get book recommendations, see what other people are reading, see like what's out there. A lot of times there's different lists and book reviews, anticipated books, or vlogging as well. A lot of people like to vlog their experiences as they're reading. And once I got comfortable enough in that community consuming it, as a viewer, I started to think that it would actually be really fun to be a more active participant. I had already been an Instagrammer, or again, a very nice play on of two words putting together, a bookstagrammer for some time, and then once I became super comfortable with that, I wanted to expand my horizons, challenge myself a little bit more, make my visual content a bit more interactive rather than just a picture, which is what Instagram is known for. I wanted to add a bit more audio and visual into the video kind of editing and just gain my skills. I think that is actually a really lovely skill that I now have. And so that's what got me into it as a consumer who then wanted to uh, emulate or be inspired and kind of replicate what my favorite booktubers were doing. And it's all your fault that I got into it. Just letting you know. Point, <laughs> point blank. <You're> <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it is yeah. very addictive a little bit. And there's just so many people out there. It's it's actually grown a significant amount. And a lot of times you can find booktubers who specialize in a particular genre or in a particular type of content. So maybe they focus on just e-reading. Maybe they focus on audiobooks. Maybe they are focusing on mysteries. It's it's quite lovely if you uh, use the you know searching from one booktuber to the other. Everyone's usually recommending each other as well, so it's been a really positive experience. Yeah, a very useful booktube uh, thing that they do is the tagging, because a lot of the times they'll mention other booktubers while they're talking about the different questions that are in the tags, and that mm-hmm. is like, oh, okay, they're like classics. Oh, and they like mysteries. Okay, you know and that you can like pick and choose when they do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you've actually touched upon a really popular thing, uh, a really popular aspect of like the video content is this this I don't know phenomena of book tags. So usually a book tag involves maybe five to ten questions that are surrounding a certain theme and. The, the booktuber answers them honestly. It could be about themselves. It could be about the book they read, a book that they recently read, or anything of the like. And then the booktuber usually ends up acknowledging someone who tagged them, you know, basically just like, you know, playing tag. And then they tag three, four other creators and challenge them to answer the same questions. So it is quite fun, and people get really unique about what kind of book tags they do. The one I most recently did was called the Beauty and the Beast book tag. So, of course, every prompt, every question was book-related, but it was inspired by a quote, a line in one of the songs from Beauty and the Beast. So it's very fun. Yeah, I I remember you tried to sing it. It was very funny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a singer, but I I enjoy a little tune. Yes. Yeah, you weren't the only one. There were a couple others of people that were doing that same tag that were trying to sing, too. Um, It was very fun. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And and sometimes these book tags can last for years, but I was reflecting on that, on that particular video, because it just goes to show you that uh, BookTube might be new to us. Like, it was new to me a few years ago, if we're being honest, but because YouTube has existed since, what, 2005? I'm sure that booktubers, maybe not, they didn't have that name just yet, have existed since that time. So we're going on more than 15 years of booktuber history. So it's it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. And it's interesting because everybody has, like you said, everybody has their niche. Everybody mm-hmm. will talk about a certain thing. Um, and I learn a lot by reading booktube. I've, I've learned uh, editions of uh, classics that I never heard of, and I've uh, books I've never heard of that are older books that, um, just like She Done It, the um, um, the mystery uh, uh, club that we both belong to. Um, mm-hmm. I've learned all these authors I've never heard of, and I'm a, I've been a mystery fan since I was a baby. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It is. It just goes to show you, yeah, like how many books actually have ever existed in time and how many continue to get published every single month. It can be overwhelming. Sometimes there are certain pressures because of BookTube, or obviously you get the temptation to add a few more books to your cart, whether that be a physical cart or an online cart. And I think that it's good to just be conscious of that, but I also refuse to ever 
regret buying a book because a booktuber, you know, has inspired me to get it. Because that's kind of the point. We're supposed to inspire each other to get books and consume them and enjoy them. It's just, it can definitely get a little out of hand when there's the particular kind of content that is known as book haul, mm-hmm. where people are adding 20, 25, 30 books at a time, where they're showcasing their newest book. And it's just that's not a reachable or realistic uh, thing for every type of reader to do. So I do hope that those who get into it never feel pressured to be exactly like the booktubers that they see. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, there's no way I'm going to read. I mean, that's another thing. A lot of people who do these book hauls don't read them. Right. You know, just because there's, you get, you may get interested in some of the books, but just write it down. Um, you know, write down the names of the books you're interested in. You don't have to rush out and buy them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's also numerous different ways you can get the book without actually having to buy it, right? There's libraries, mm-hmm. there's online access, that type of thing. And so I, and, and usually the booktubers who are the biggest uh, book haulers, they also tend to have an entire inventory or archive of videos where they do book unhauls, which is also very popular to watch, where it's literally booktubers uh, showcasing the books that they're actually going to unhaul, whether it's by selling them or donating them to libraries or to schools, those types of things. But it's just it shows that it's like the input and the output. They just keep sending books out and bringing them in. And, yeah, I can't imagine too much reading is getting done Uh, successfully that way but these types of booktubers usually it's like their job they're getting paid to do this type of content and that's something we also have to be aware of compared to someone like me who's just very happy to be a part of the community that's true we're coming to the end of the show i just want uh you to give your um your booktuber uh the the, what's your name and how to find you on youtube because it's a big wide world thank you so much yeah i would love to so my name is leandra and you can find me on BookTube as Leandra the TBR zero TBR meaning to be read, and my entire uh, I guess niche area of the internet is that myself and other BookTubers we're trying to lessen our physical TBRs because our homes are only so big. So my actual specialty, or at least focus, is that I try to lessen my physical TBR and really focus on that rather than buying books. So if that's something that you're interested in, feel free to join the fun, and I hope you enjoy the content that you end up consuming if you do find my channel. Okay, and um, could you give your social media that you'd like people to say hi to you? Yeah, certainly. So beyond YouTube, I'm also on Instagram. For that, my handle is Leandra underscore the TBR zero and if you end up finding my YouTube on there on my videos in the description I have all of my social media contacts so I've got Instagram I've got Goodreads I've got Storygraph connected all through there as well so you can follow those links and please connect and talk about books with me I would love to do that great Uh, I want to thank you for taking time of your day to chat with me Yeah, and thank you, Sherry. It was really fun. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry.
LuckyLandSlots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.